So one of the most tragic characters of Greek mythology uh, is a king known as Sisyphus. And uh, in the stories, uh, Sisyphus establishes and then rules over a land called um, Ephraim. Maybe you could say it better than I could. Uh, this is uh, Corinth, the land of Corinth. And Sisyphus, he's a ne'er-do-well. Uh, he's a cunning, ambitious character who's always up to no good and tricking people and getting ahead through uh, deception. He lives an adventurous, rioting life uh, among both the mortals and the gods. You know, Sisyphus, they're always trying to stop him. The gods are trying to stop him. His fellow kings are trying to stop him. And he's always turning things around on them. Uh, But eventually, Sisyphus runs afoul of the god Zeus. And the god Zeus plays a special trick on the ever-cunning Sisyphus. As a punishment for all his ambition and his hubris, Sisyphus is assigned uh, to roll a boulder up the hill. But Zeus has tricked it so that the boulder is actually enchanted. And as soon as Sisyphus gets the boulder to the top of the hill, almost quite, it doesn't quite make it all the way up to the top. It rolls down to the bottom of the hill. And Sisyphus has to go chase the boulder and start it over again. And this continues over and over and over again. He's consigned to a meaningless existence of work that never ends. The myth of Sisyphus can remind us of our lives sometimes. Our life starts out as an adventure with promise and vision and excitement. And that adventure eventually involves commitments. And those commitments then involve responsibilities. And the responsibilities turn into lists. Responsibilities can be toilsome. They can be frustrating. They can seem to never end. They can seem to be our only reality. The only thing in front of us is this boulder we've been given that we've somehow or another gotten ourselves into, committed to. Emails to respond to. Home projects to complete. Books to read. Clients to pursue. Volunteer duties to fulfill. Classes to attend. My wife, Laura, describes it as a ticker tape. It just goes and goes and goes. The ticker tape of responsibilities. Did you do this yet? Did you do this yet? No. What about this? You're late for your meeting. Did you respond to my email? And the ticker tape just keeps on going, and it's like Sisyphus pushing this boulder up the hill. We started out living this great adventure with a sense of promise and maybe even a little bit of mischief. Our lives were filled with vision. They were filled with excitement. And so we took on responsibility. And now we're buried so deep in our work that we can barely remember why we took on the work in the first place. We're so intent on getting that boulder to the top of the mountain and we're kind of frustrated with our pace, frustrated it won't quite get to the top that we're forgotten why, why we're on the mountain in the first place. Where did this job come from anyway? Why are you in Chicago? Why are you in the job that you're in, in the educational assignment that you're in? Your marriage, what was the vision that led you to that in the first place? For those of you who are here at Emmanuel, your role here may be volunteering or serving in some way. What made that contribution meaningful to you? In order to answer those questions, why am I here? What makes what I'm doing meaningful? We need to see, we need the capacity to see beyond the boulder. We've got to be able to look beyond the boulder to see 
be on the lists, be on the responsibilities, be on the ticker tape, be on the demands. We need to see that Christ has risen from the dead and that he has called us to join him in making all things new. We've got to be able to see that or the boulder will roll back on us and crush us. We will resent the boulder. We will no longer see the meaning behind it. We may have the experience of Sisyphus sometimes, frustrated, working hard, sweating, focused on a very difficult job. But we do not have the reality of Sisyphus, meaningless work and unending demands. In Christ, God's blessing is upon us. In Christ, God's calling is upon us. For those who are still seeking Christ, you're not sure where you're at spiritually. That calling and that blessing is offered to you freely without cost. And when we have accepted that gift, we no longer live in futility. When we accepted God's calling and blessing to us in Christ, we no longer live in meaninglessness. We live in the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, our work is always with Christ and our work is always meaningful. Whether we serve inside the walls of the church or outside the walls of the church, and most of the time, God's calling to us is to work outside the walls of the church. This is a challenge, seeing beyond the boulder, seeing where our calling actually comes from, seeing that our work has meaning. This is a challenge and we need the word of God and we need the Holy Spirit to see it. This morning we will be following the story of the very first followers of Jesus who received his challenge. The very first followers of Jesus who were, who were challenged to see beyond their list, see beyond the work right in front of them. They're challenged to look up. We will watch them as they look up to see the risen Lord and join him in his work. And as we do, I'd like to offer three encouragements from the resurrection of Christ. Look with me in verse uh, Mark 15, verse 46 and 47. This describes the, some of the concluding work for the followers of Jesus as they thought it was. The closure, the wrapping up, the saying of the goodbyes. Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him, that is the corpse of Jesus, in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled the stone against the entrance to the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Now consider this. With their own eyes, they saw the corpse of Jesus. They saw him wrapped up. They saw where he was laid in the tomb. What would it have been like to be one of the Marys in verse 47? To just see him there, the corpse of Jesus, like he's dead. He is dead, and you can see it with your own eyes, and you actually had to walk with him through the process of his own crucifixion. You just sat there and watched it happen. What would that have done to your heart? What would that have done to your sense of hope? And they responded to what they could see. They responded to the reality of their own narrative, which, as it is for so many of us, self-justifying. 
self-affirming, the reality of our own experience. It's all we know. And so we respond based on what we've experienced and what we have seen with our physical eyes. Okay, Jesus is dead. Let's make the most of this. All right, we've seen it. Like they definitely killed him and we definitely saw his mangled corpse. We saw it wrapped. So let's just respond to that. Let's live in reality. So verse 16, 1. They brought spices so they could anoint him. Verse 2, they, they, they went to the tomb. And then in verse 3, they asked the question, who will roll away the stone for us to the entrance of the tomb? Notice that they were kind of fixated on these small problems, things right in front of them. The body of Jesus needs to be anointed with spices. The, the, the tomb needs to be rolled away. Problems we can control, like we can get up early and we can bring spices. We know how to do that. We've been trained. Problems they can't control, like, ah, who's going to roll away the daggum stone? You know? Let's just do what we can do. Let's focus on the problems right in front of us based on the reality that we've experienced. Friends, they saw his body, but they forgot his promises. Because Jesus said over and over again in the Gospel of Mark, after the third day, I will rise again. After the third day, I will rise again. They will crucify me and I will die. But on the third day, I will rise again. Notice they were not responding to those promises. They were responding to what they could see concretely with their eyes and feel viscerally in their own experience, in their own narrative, in their own journey. Hey, we're on a journey and we saw Jesus die. And you know what? We're going to shift. We're gonna, I know he said these things, but in the reality of my experience, I don't feel those things. So I'm going to follow my journey where it leads me, which is away from his promises and just making the best of his dead body. If Jesus' promises were true, moving the stone problem was irrelevant and embalming his body problem slash job was irrelevant. Because as Christ is risen, they, they and we are not called to be materialists. Not materialists in the sense that we spend a lot of money, although sometimes it has that application, but materialists in the sense that we respond only to the stimuli that we ourselves experience and see and observe. where we only believe our own story, where we only listen to our own journey, where we only follow the experience of our own life. Being materialist means that we'll give primary attention to the problems in front of us and limited attention to the promises of Christ. We look at our housing situation, and it is so tempting to go, how am I going to solve this problem? This is the biggest problem in front of me. We look at our bank account, and we go, how do, I, how, do I, how do I move that stone? Or we look at our family issues, uh, family of origin issues, or our current family issues, or our grades, or the response of others to us, or how did the date go, or how did the date not go? Where are my kids' test scores at? And we can so easily fixate on those problems right in front of us that we forget the promises of Christ. 
We look at the corpse in front of us and we go, how do we embalm that corpse and move the stone accordingly? Instead of hearing in our ears his promise, I will rise again on the third day and that will change everything. Perhaps it is time for us who are either seeking Jesus, curious about him, or following him to return to his promises when we are, te- when we are the most tempted to fixate on the problems in front of us. Promises like, The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has made you well. Promises like you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the Father. Or take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. Or have faith in God. Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will be done for him. Or you will be my witnesses and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Promises like, I am making all things new. Promises like, I will never, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Those are the promises that we need to hear in our ears and treasure with our hearts when we see the problems in our lives that we cannot fix. Because Christ is risen. We don't have to be materialists anymore. We can respond to different stimuli than the experience of our own story, our own self-affirming journey. We can listen to his promises and let those shape our journey too. The story continues. In verse 4, something happens. And looking up, which is significant. It was significant that they looked up from the stone, from the entrance. They saw the stone had been rolled back and it was very large. So already there's kind of supernatural activity happening around them and they're starting to pay attention and it's so good that they do. Verse 5, entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe and they were alarmed. There's a young man sitting in there. (laughs) He's got a white robe on. They wouldn't be scared if it was just a normal white robe guy. There's plenty of those in their life. This was a manifestation of heaven in an ordinary place. This was a tomb they were familiar with. They had been inside. And there's this white-robed man that is very clearly an expression of God's activity. And when heaven is on the move in ordinary places, that is displacing. That, That shakes us up. That helps us see that no matter where our project list is at, God is on the move and he operates somewhat independently of our plans. And then verse 6, this, this white boy said to them, Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And the women want to say, get me out of here. Where is my mommy? I mean, I mean, Christ is risen. There's a young man in this ordinary place. Heaven is on the move. What is happening? Because if Christ is risen, our project list will no longer set the agenda. If Christ is risen, heaven is on the move in places that are ordinary to us. Heaven is on the move, meeting earth, being reunited to earth, as was always God's plan. 
being reunited to earth first in the body of Christ, the risen body of Christ, and then spreading outward to his followers and to the whole creation till all is made new. Our neighborhood, heaven is on the move in our neighborhood, in our family, in our soul, in our home, in our neighborhood. He won't leave any of those spheres of life the same. He won't. He's on the move now. For the irreligious among us, for those who don't believe in God, aren't sure what they believe in God, I just want to say that God is seeking you. He is seeking you, independent of how close you've been with him or what you believe. He is seeking you. And actually, that can be very disturbing. That can be very unnerving. Because if God's not seeking me, I can just live life as I want to live it. If God is seeking me, normal reality is being turned upside down uh, by the reality of heaven. For those of you who are Christians and who have some familiar experience of God moving in your life, I just want to remind you, God is not stationary. He does not let himself be put into a box and operate in predictable patterns. He may call you to something that you're not ready for. He may change something in your life that you want to stay the same. And maybe there are some among, uh, among us who have been holding on to something they do not want to change, and God is actually changing it himself, and you're clutching on so hard, and in the process you may miss the activity of heaven. You may miss salvation, which is happening in your home, in your family, in your neighborhood. So, if Christ is risen, let us not be materialists. If he's risen, heaven is on the move among the earth, in the ordinary places. But then something else happens. The, in verse 7, the angel commissions them. And they're not quite ready for it. He says, go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And then verse 8, which my mistake is not in your bulletins. Um, And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So the angel tells them, go. Jesus is leading. He's he's starting something new in Galilee. Um, And then in verse 8, fear kind of stopped them from telling the other disciples. They were so locked up with fear at what they were being called to do, that they didn't do anything. They eventually did. But the text helps us connect with this reality that it was actually hard for them to, to, to live into what God was calling them to. They came in with a very stationary list. All right, we've got embalm the body of Jesus, pack the spices, pack all the things, get the stone removed. So we have a logistical problem. Then we have a labor problem. Um, but we can do this. We can, we, we've got contacts. We've got our spices. That's what they came into the tomb with. We grieve. We move on with our lives. And we join all the other messianic movements that die away once the leader dies away. We push the boulder up the hill. We get it almost the way there. Ah, then it goes back down the hill and we trudge on down, and we push it back up, finding some other meaningful job to do in this life. 
now that Jesus is dead. So they kind of sauntered into the tomb. Sauntered into the tomb as dutiful workers completing a list. Which I have so often found myself doing. A dutiful worker just getting out of bed, bringing your spices. Let's get the stone rolled away. Hey, can you get some guys to kind of move the stone rolled away? We, got, we just got a job to do. And we're so myopic and focused on the small list of things that has been handed down to us that we've just chosen. These women encountered the reality of the risen Lord and they sprinted out of the tomb as characters in a story. They came in as workers with a dutiful list. They sprinted out as characters in a story they weren't even quite ready for. As uh, pilgrims on a journey, on an adventure that they did not ask to be a part of. Like, uh, like Bilbo when he is visited by Gandalf. Gandalf comes to his home and messes everything up. By the time we get to the first book in the Lord of the Rings, Bilbo knows what's happening. Oh, Gandalf, you know, he's, you, you know, just get out of my space. Let me live my quiet hobbit life. Don't involve me in your dragon-like adventures. Well, Gandalf cannot be dissuaded, can he? And eventually neither can Bilbo. They sprinted out of the tomb as characters in the story they could barely catch their breath. In verse 7, Jesus is leading again. Jesus is defining reality again. It's a new chapter in an ongoing story. The story is not over. The two Marys had no idea what was ahead. We do because we have, we have the historical record. We have scripture They could not have possibly imagined the kind of missionaries that Jesus was calling them to be. They could not see at that time what it would have been like to be praying with a small group of people on the day of Pentecost and to see thousands of people converted in a day from from just a bunch of ordinary people that had simply been with Jesus. They could not have imagined what it would have been like to have breakfast with Jesus on the beach, be fed by him, to be commissioned by him, to have their sins forgiven to be sent out, they would have no idea that former persecutors of the church would encounter the risen Lord, have a vision of him, and be converted and become a leader in the church. They would have had no idea that the church would take up the mantle to care for widows and orphans and victims of uh, the plague and actually take on such a revolutionary social force in the Roman Empire that eventually the emperor himself would confess Christ. They would have had no idea when they were sprinting from the tube. They did not know what was ahead of them. This is why this messenger of God called them to look up. Look up from this boulder. Look up from your spices. I know you have a list. Look up from your list and pray. Look up from your list and see that Christ is risen indeed and that he's calling you to a story that is not over yet. If Christ is risen, we are called to an adventure before we feel prepared. If he's not risen, then our strengths and our weaknesses are the controlling reality of our life. What we've done, what we can do, what we have to manage around. If Christ is risen, then he's calling us to a story and he will choose the cocktail of strengths and weaknesses that he wants to use. And he will use both by his spirit. 
If Christ is risen, then he invites us to follow him in an ongoing story that he continues to create as he makes all things new. And it doesn't matter if we feel ready. It doesn't matter if we feel prepared. If Christ has risen our work, whether we feel like it's mundane or not, it's meaningful, it has purpose inside and outside the walls of the church. Christ has risen. He's risen indeed. And he sent his spirit to lead our church. He is operating right now in our midst. And he's operating right now in Uptown. And he's operating right now in Chicago. There are so many things that we feel like, man, if I could just solve these four or five problems, if I had a genie in a bottle and could solve these three wishes, everything would be fine. So often, God has to call us away from that list that we feel we must complete or the wishes that we just kind of pine after and says, no, 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 look away from that. Look up from the boulder that you're pushing and look to my risen son and actually open your heart to him and pray for him to lead you. Pray for him to involve you in his mission in the world. Pray for him to show up in ordinary places that you, where you are accustomed to seeing uh, you're, you're, you're in habits. You're in a rut. And heaven is the one who is going to come. Jesus will come, and he will bring heaven to earth in ways that you're not expecting. I want to invite all of you. I know many of you are here visiting from out of town. You are so welcome here. And I'm praying this for you as well as for our church. I'm praying that the Lord Jesus shows our church the new ways that he is operating and gives meaning to your daily work and also gives meaning to our mission here in Chicago and our mission here in Uptown. And I believe that right now we are in a season where we are called to listen to the Lord Jesus and allow for him to shake things up and send us out on mission. In some cases, that means that some of you will actually be called to another city. It may mean for others of you, you'll be called to stay in this city, but be called to prepare your hearts for a church plant around the corner. Not anytime soon. Please. <laughs> but maybe sooner than you or I want. For others of you, it will be meaning that you are called to, to serve here at Emmanuel, both through your jobs as well as on the weekends and in the, the evenings, serving the school here at Uplift. Or who knows what else the Lord is doing in Uptown? Who knows what else? He's the one leading. We can't predict what he's going to do. I want to invite all of you to pray. I want to invite all of you to pray. And I know that sounds like such a pastor thing to say, but I mean it. I mean it. I want you to open your hearts to the reality of the risen Lord who has risen indeed, who is calling all of us to something that we do not feel prepared for. I want to invite you to look up from the list that you wish was completed, the check marks that you so badly want to scratch that itch and go, Jack, it's done. I can rest now. You can rest now in prayer. You can rest now in prayer. Does it matter if your list is checked off or not? I want you to look at all of the, I want you to look away from all of the problems that you feel like would solve everything else and look up to the risen Lord and ask him to show you what role you are to play in the story that he's writing and let him take care of the big things that you feel, those small troublesome problems that you feel cannot be solved. We are called to an adventure before we feel prepared if Christ is risen. 
Our strengths are in his hands. Our inadequacies are in his hands. Ultimately, our boulder is in his hands. We are in his story. So watch and pray, because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.